Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News Special Report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Citians must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. David! David Hayden, author, marketer, Kansas City extraordinaire, and, man, I say this, back by popular demand, and that's that's no smoke, my friend. You have our highest-rated episodes in 2021. We're going to run it back, David Hayden. Man. I can I can hear the train in the background. And that is uh, tremendous. I, I I think these I think these four men might have caused fate to uh, work with us because that's what we're going to talk about today. Now keep in mind, Kansas City first started, and the first settlers to Kansas City were fur traders and and fur purchasers. Uh, the Shoto set up in what is modern day Case Park, the bluff that overlooks the West Bottoms and the River Market, and they could see trappers coming in from the uh, Kansas River and the Missouri. Most of the people came because they wanted land to farm. The westward expansion of, of the country really began here. The, the state line was the western border of the United States. Right at the foot of Main Street, there was a great cliff for offloading steamships. Back when we were transporting most goods by steamship, and you could offload the ship there and get the goods to Westport quicker than you could from Independence. And that's why people started settling in first the town of Kansas and then Kansas City, which was incorporated in 1853. Now, with this, we were still a, a pretty rugged town. You know, it was 1854 uh, when most of the characters in our story today came to Kansas City. that we passed a law that said you could not dump the uh, contents of your, uh, your restroom onto the streets in the city within city limits. And you could not dispose of any animal carcasses on the city streets. So uh, we were progressing. We don't ask for much, Dave. I, you know, I mean, there was just, you know, we, we decided to uh, raise the level of civility. Keep it classy, Casey. Just a little bit. So we started off drawing a little bit of attention. There were a couple thousand people who had settled in Kansas City. And uh, out east, a group of investors from Pennsylvania sent a man named Kersey Coates to Kansas City. And uh, they had purchased all of the land. Basically, Kansas City ended at 9th Street. Uh, they had purchased all of the land to the south of that, including the cliff up on Case Park, Quality Hill is today, through most of downtown. And they had purchased it for mining rights. And Coates was, I think you could pretty safely call him a blue blood was a graduate of Phillips Andover Academy, same school that, you know, both President Bush's went to, you know, five Nobel laureates, all of the Kennedy kids went through there. Uh, a pretty prestigious uh, upper-class gentleman comes to Kansas City and finds this town where, in fact, we had just decided that we were no longer going to throw animal carcasses on the street <laughs> and explores it for mining. Now, had he decided to explore it for mining, 
we would have just mined out everything that is currently downtown Kansas City and the city would be gone. But Coates saw something different and uh, instead bought the land from his investors. He was joined by a gentleman named Theodore Case. Case was a physician that had come to Kansas City because, I mean, you need a doctor, especially when you're dumping things on the city streets. <laughs> he was also our town's first historian and was kind of the guy who kept track of everything, uh, held numerous positions in city government, postmaster, things like that throughout the years. Now, these two really had a vision for Kansas City, but they met a gentleman named Robert Van Horn. Now, Van Horn was a failed businessman from out east. He was a newspaper guy. And by the time he was 30, two newspapers that he owned went out of business. And he was broke, and he, he wrote his parents, I'm going to quote, a lot of the quotes that I'm going to use today come from a great book that if you don't own it, you should. It's called Kansas City, an American Story. Uh, it was put out by the Star a few years ago, and it's out of print, but you can still find copies of it online. He wrote his parents as he was leaving Ohio and said, I am again a loser. I'm going out west, probably Nebraska, where I hope in a few years to retrieve my fortunes and kick up the just generally among the natives. I mean, he, he came to Kansas City broke, started up a small print shop. People found out he was a newspaper man. People liked him. People liked his energy and enthusiasm. Okay. And, okay. Uh, I like this And uh, threw some money at him and decided that he should start a newspaper. Now, Van Horn, you know, there's a, there's a fine line between hype man and con man uh i feel like you're looking well, at me through the phone right now dave <laughs> i i would i would say that uh that, that, that in the long line of people uh and, and i count myself in this line as well who were enthusiastic perhaps beyond uh reasonable means about about our city uh robert van horn uh definitely is at the front of the list in one of his first columns uh, he proclaimed, again, quoting from the book, uh, Kansas City is by the laws of God and physical geography, the great commercial depot of the plains and nothing but a disruption of nature can stay her destiny. Oh, wow. What a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. We had just passed a law saying you couldn't dump animal carcasses on the street. So the difference between what was happening in reality in Kansas City, what Van Horn was saying in the papers and was spreading across the country was uh, quite different. A Cincinnati reporter at the time came to Kansas City and wrote a story about it. He said, to the unprejudiced observer, the people here all seem to be partially demented in regards to their prospects. <laughs> Talk to them of Chicago St. Louis and they will laugh at you. Why, sir, Kansas City is within 15 miles of the center of this great republic. Here, sir, will be the great city of the Western world, and over the exact spot, the star of the empire paused in its western course. And so we have these people who have these great visions of Kansas City and see the potential in it, want the world to see the potential in it, but how do we actually make it happen? See, these weren't just people who were hype men. They had a vision and they were ready to will it to happen. And the way that we do that is to get a railroad. In the 1850s, early 1860s, prior to the Civil War, there was no transcontinental railroad. There were short lines owned by different companies, and uh, the most significant in Kansas City was called the Hannibal St. Joseph Railway. And it would come off of Chicago, cross the Mississippi at Hannibal, and then run to St. Joseph, which was, of course, the start of the Pony Express. Three men by the names of William Russell, Alexander Majors, and William Waddell came up with the idea to send mail by horseback nonstop from St. Louis to Sacramento. They called this new business the Pony Express. 
The Pony Express hired riders who were young, strong, brave horsemen. These riders would stop every 10 to 15 miles to get a fresh horse and every 50 to 75 miles to change riders. So the idea was that you could get the mail to the Pony Express quickly or get whatever you needed to Pony Express and they could run it out west for you on horseback. The, the greatest issue we faced with the Transcontinental Railroad was crossing the Missouri River. We had to decide where we were going to do that. Now, Kansas City was a pretty small town in 1860. We had about 4,000 people. Uh, that was significantly less than towns like Atchison, uh, St. Joseph, each of which, St. Joseph was over twice the size. Leavenworth was nearly twice the size. And these places had existing rail lines. So we were we were a few steps back. So the three gentlemen uh, started up the idea of a railway company. They got some investors from out east from the other railway companies and uh, started pitching the idea of a north-south railway that crossed through Kansas City. Went from Lake Superior all the way to Galveston, Texas. For a company that had never built a railroad in a city that had no railway, it was a pretty aggressive, if not comical, way to <laughs> right, uh, right. you know start this whole process out. But they, they had a dream. They had a vision. And uh, they had some hype behind them. Unfortunately, in 1861, something a little different happened. And the Civil War broke out. Now, Missouri was part of the Confederacy, but Kansas City was a Union stronghold within Missouri. Jackson, Cass counties were very much Union-centered areas. Coates, you know, being from Pennsylvania, was a very strong Union loyalist. Robert Van Horn was as well. He went to St. Louis and actually got commissioned uh, as an officer and uh, came back and started up a defensive corps for Kansas City. Uh, working along with like Fort Osage and working with Fort Leavenworth to help defend Kansas City. Now, the Civil War definitely was an interesting time in Kansas City, and there's a lot of there's a lot of perspective that needs to be taken into it. But once it ended, things kind of were still not quite back to normal. Um, during the Civil War, there was an order called General Order Number 11 that required everyone living over a mile outside of Kansas City or over a mile away from one of the Union forts that were not able to adequately show their loyalty to the Union Army were forced to move out of town. And a lot of them, you know, just buried their valuables on their property that they couldn't move and took off. Not long after the Union Army came through and burned down their houses. So there was a great displacement. You know, people like McCoy and some of the founding fathers in Westport and a guy named Charles Carney, who was a large property owner uh, down in the West Bottoms, particularly in the River Market area, took off to Northern Clay County, now named after him, Kearney, Missouri, that was probably most notable for their most famous residents of Clay County of the day, uh, Frank and Jesse James. And so as a Confederate, he was able to go up there and, and you know, stay during the Civil War. After the Civil War, a lot of the people who had left Kansas City and moved out uh, or had lived in surrounding areas prior to the Civil War moved back to Kansas City. Uh, but Kansas City was still a very divided town. Main Street was kind of the dividing line. And people who were loyal to the Union lived on streets named Pennsylvania or Jefferson. Washington, the streets that we know nowadays, people who were loyal to the Confederacy settled on streets like Oak and Walnut and really, you know, divided the city, you know, not just by, you know, where you lived, but even 
what what name of streets carney had a very particular set of skills that were different than the others. He was a self-made man who was very wealthy, but he was wealthy because he was a great salesman. Uh, Not a hype man, he was a deal maker. And so when Carney came on board with this vision of Kansas City, what he had was a bunch of land down in the West Bottoms. And so Carney took a meeting with a guy from the Hannibal St. Joseph Railroad named James Joy. And James Joy was a top person in the Hannibal St. Joseph Railroad. And he saw some some potential in Kansas City because not only would they be able to reach the Northwest and get out to California, but it would give them a better entry to Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and all of the places that had cattle. And so Carney made a deal with James Joy, sold him some land in the West Bottoms, which wasn't particularly valuable at the moment, but uh, would be very valuable if, say, the first bridge across the Missouri River was built right next door. And so this is how he was able to get James Joy on board with the uh, idea of building the railroad bridge in Kansas City. Now, at this point, following the Civil War, obviously, President Lincoln was assassinated. Building the railroad bridge across the Missouri and Omaha had kind of dissipated. Kansas City, because of the general order, had lost a lot of population. People in the area had left town and not come back. Uh, so these other cities that were our primary competitors for the bridge had uh, only grown in population. What we had was the foresight to send Robert Van Horn, uh, our local leader, to Congress as the representative from Missouri of uh, Kansas City. So he went up and was working in Washington while Carney was behind the scenes uh, making the deals. In June of 1866, uh, there was a meeting in Boston with the Hannibal St. Joseph people, where to build the railroad, and they were really close to uh, deciding on Leavenworth. So Carney sent Coates and Case up to Boston to uh, talk to them and uh, try to persuade them while Carney talked to his old buddy uh, James Joy and reminded him of this great land that he now owned in Kansas City and uh, how valuable it would be if this were to happen. So through their persuasion, they were able to convince Hannibal St. Joseph Railroad to build the bridge in Kansas City, but they needed Congress to agree. They needed D.C. to agree. So Carney, it's word to Van Horn, tells him, hey, we've got it lined up with the railroad. You need to get this done fast. And by adding it to as an amendment to a bill, he got it swept through Congress before Leavenworth and St. Joseph realized what had happened and landed the first bridge across the Missouri River in Kansas City. So at what point did they realize that they were getting swindled? Or I guess not even swindled. At what point did they realize that, uh-oh, Van Horn beat us to it? Pretty quick. Pretty quick. And were there any shady shady dealing? I mean, obviously the selling of the land to the executive of the railroad was, uh, you know, to his personal assets, was... Uh, very fortunate for uh, for uh, Mr. Joy. Also, Kansas City was pretty good at getting bonds passed. Sometimes they they got bonds passed by more votes than there were people. Uh, I mean, we were we were really really good at getting bonds passed in Kansas City. Uh, so that was something that reassured everyone and and quite annoyed the other cities in competition. But uh, once we had this done, we started in on the bridge. And it took uh, until 1869 to finish the bridge, uh, which stood at the foot of modern-day Broadway, near where the rail bridge is now. And 
when it opened, uh, it was an affair unlike anything ever seen in Kansas City. It was it was bigger than the World Series parade back in the day. Keep in mind that you know I said that. In 1860, we had 4,400 people lived here. Uh, at the end, at the end of the Civil War, we were down to 4,000 people lived here. By 1870, once we had completed the bridge, we had 32,000 people lived here. Oh wow! Eight years, uh, our city grew by over 600 percent because people saw the opportunity of the rail. Coates became a very wealthy man, selling off all of that land that he had uh, purchased in downtown Van Horn. Only did one term in Congress because he only had to. He got the bridge. It was all about the bridge. And so over the next year, after the bridge opened, a quarter of a million tourists came through Kansas City. We became the city. It wasn't Leavenworth or Atchison or St. Joseph anymore. It was Kansas City, and we were the regional hub. Kersey Coates finally finished his hotel, which he started prior to the Civil War, but became the uh, Union Stables during the Civil War at 10th and Broadway. It's now the uh, Quality Hill Leasing Office right across from like the Quaff, the great Coates Hotel. Or at first it was the Broadway Hotel, and then after his death, they renamed it after him. You know, Quality Hill continued to develop as the first suburb of Kansas City. We don't usually think of Kansas City suburbs being that close to the city, but that was originally the first suburban homes in Kansas City. Van Horn, he uh, retired and moved out to Independence uh, where he was on Van Horn Road. He outlived everyone else in the early 19-teens. Uh, they tore down his mansion and uh, built a high school named after him. Still stands today. They did take away his road, though, when another gentleman named Harry Truman became famous enough that they decided he needed a road. Uh, this guy. Tr Truman actually did feel bad that they took Van Horn's road away. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of wanted somebody else because he realized the visionary and, and the importance of Van Horn. Carney went back to Carney. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, he, he had a he had a pretty good setup and a town named after him there. Case uh, went on to write most of the early history of Kansas City that we know is because of Theodore Case. His family is also very prominent throughout history. Most of them didn't remain in Kansas City, but he uh, created uh, some wealth that allowed them to go on and do great things in different academic fields. The Coates continued to be uh, very prominent sponsors of Kansas City and uh, great benefactors of our city uh, with the wealth they made selling the land that is modern day downtown. So as I was researching this and looking into this and the different information I learned, kind of the thoughts that resounded with me were that, you know, in the 1980s, downtown Kansas City was was pretty quiet and pretty desolate. And there definitely weren't a lot of people who chose to live down there. But it was the same land that Kersey Coates picked to be the first suburb of Kansas City, Quality Hill, that started that renaissance of people moving back down to downtown Kansas City. Over 100 years later, it still began with that land. You know, and I really... I think about how thinking about how important transportation has been to the growth of Kansas City with the you know, massive number of interstates that come through here with the streetcar, with the things that we're trying to do now to improve our city. We've always been a transportation hub and it's always been the key to growth and it, and it can be in the future. But what it takes and what it took was not just a hype man, not just 
the guy who was willing to make the shady land deal, not just the aristocrats who had the money and the and the connections to make things happen, but it took everybody coming together and it took a vision that was shared across these four men of just incredibly different backgrounds and beliefs. And it took them willing it to happen. This city doesn't come from, you know, a place that was convenient to offload ships on the side from riverboats. This city that we know today didn't happen because of just great geography. It didn't happen because our, our weather's so beautiful. And it didn't happen because we got a lot of lucky breaks along the way. It happened because people of diverse backgrounds and diverse beliefs came together and they willed it to happen. They created a vision and it was a vision of what they wanted Kansas City to be. And then they figured out how to make that happen and they did whatever it took to work together to bring those things to Kansas City. Curious, Dave, especially now, I think we have such an opportunity as we are, you know, in this pandemic and as we reshape whatever this new normal is, you know, we may not be able to take care of everything all at the same time, but maybe it is that one thing. What is that one thing that's going to bring us all together that we can say enough with the excuses of why this can't happen? Why can't we all find this one thing and say, let's just find a way to get it done? I, I for a lot of years, have believed that the third rail in Kansas City politics, like the thing that no one wants to talk about and uh, no one's really wanted to address, is the lack of quality east-west mass transit. And as we keep trying to figure out how to move people north to south more efficiently, you know, from the river market to the plaza, we need to figure out how to move people east and west. That's got to be the solution to bringing, you know, our city together. It's got to be the solution to how we take areas where there aren't enough jobs and we give them access to places where there's not enough employees. It's expensive to live downtown or in the crossroads or in a lot of different parts of Kansas City. Uh, it, it's cost prohibitive at the wages that businesses are trying to pay for entry-level work. And in a lot of cases... Those businesses don't want to pay more. And so I think that really what we need to figure out is how can we move people east to west to not only support the businesses, but but to support our city, to be one Kansas City. We have to stop looking at this as a north-south city. We have to look east and west. I mean, the story that we're talking about was an actual bridge. I mean, that's symbolism. That's practical. Let this be that cultural, amazing hub that Kansas City knows it can be. Well, if you want to talk about division, I mean, yes, we have division right now. Unite behind common visions. If those guys could, in that time where, I mean, people were getting killed, there was a literal war broken out. If they could come together after that for a common vision, we can do it again today. Kansas City, here we come. David Hayden, my man, The we got to get like an actual title for you on this show because i mean honestly you are the content they came for are you our our kcms historian i can get a better name for you what's your gimmick man i don't know i'm just i'm just a storyteller i'll be honest we're uh we're, we're not letting details and dates get in the way of a good story those people that call them historians are, are rolling their eyes at me and trying to fact check me and all these kind of things i I'm just here to tell the story. Our KCMS storyteller. We're only as cool as our last cool thing. Kansas City, what's our next cool thing? And how can we do it together? Well, we, we can we can run it forward. That was excellent. David Hayden, we're going to run it back next week. We'll figure out something to talk about. So many great stories in this town. I can't wait to share more of them.
straight to one place, right to Kansas City. The KC Morning Show. You're listening to the KC Morning Show.